This is Education Matters, brought to you by the Ohio Education Association. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Education Matters. I'm Katie Olmstead, part of the communications team for the Ohio Education Association, which represents more than 120,000 K-12 teachers, education support professionals, and higher ed faculty members in the state. We also have many former educators in our OEA retired group, including Jane Mitchell. She taught for 40 years in five different states, retiring in 2013 as an intervention specialist from Dublin City Schools outside Columbus. She also happens to be my mom. And not to brag or anything, she's one of the most awesome human beings on the planet. This woman has some stories to tell about so many things. But the reason I wanted to bring her on for this episode is because for a long time, she was testing coordinator for her schools. And some of those horror stories are ridiculous. So I voluntold her to share some of her memories with us all. Thank you for sitting down with me today. Before we get to the testing stories, I want to talk a little bit about your background. You taught special education basically your entire career. I didn't know I was going to do that. I went to a Catholic school, and I thought that you had to be a nun to be a teacher. Incidentally, we're Jewish. So I started to be a nun, but... (laughs) And thank goodness you aren't now, says your child. Changed my mind. I always knew I wanted to be a teacher, so I went to the University of Illinois and got a bachelor's in junior high and high school social studies and English education. Then I went to uh, University of Iowa, got a master's in developmental reading, and then uh, later on I got another master's in learning and emotional disabilities. I ran the reading clinic at the University of Iowa for a while while I was teaching in an alternative junior high for potential dropouts. So that's what really got the special ed bug going in me. And then you just continued. Uh, You have taught every grade level, preschool through college, every different kind of setting. I've taught little kids up through college kids. I've taught in institutions, self-contained, self-contained with integration, resource rooms, homebound and inclusion settings. I taught four years at the Tulsa Boys Home in Oklahoma where I taught in a self-contained K-8 through classroom. I taught the boys who were considered too violent to go to special ed classes in a regular school setting. But I was like the one-room schoolhouse on the little house on the prairie. And then in 1988, you came here to Dublin. Yeah, by way of Indiana. (laughs) Lots of traveling. Then I taught at Old Sawmill Elementary and Wyandotte Elementary. I was... uh, Started out as the LD teacher, then resource room teacher, then intervention specialist. And I brought inclusion to Old Sawmill. Speaking of your time at Old Sawmill and Wyandotte Elementaries, for most of my childhood, I remember you being the testing coordinator. What exactly does that involve, and how did you get volunteered for that position? Um, One of the other teachers who was the testing coordinator asked if I would help her out because of all the... um, the alternative testing and the IEP uh, accommodations required a lot of moving people around and things like that. And so one year I helped her out, and the next year all of a sudden it was all my job. I would have to take the test, distribute the test, keep the security of the test, make sure everything was 
bubbled and ready to turn in. Make sure everybody who had IEP accommodations got their accommodations, including finding people to read. Make sure that anybody who had English as a second language at a certain level got an interpreter for the questions. And I answered every question that ever came up. I had to train teachers on how to give the tests because even even the regular teachers had certain places where they had to um, read to the kids. And you have to read to the kids in a certain way so that you're not giving any answers away. So it sounds like you were the ringleader in this circus, and I use circus as a very appropriate term for some of the ways this turned out. You have some very interesting stories from your years as the testing coordinator. Well, since I was a testing coordinator for such a long period of time, there's a lot of time for things to go wrong. Like every year, someone would lose a test in their classroom and we would have to tear a classroom apart because you cannot lose a test. In fact, twice I had a kid get a bloody nose on a test and once I even had a kid throw up on the test. And when that happens, You have to stop testing for the entire class because nobody's going to be doing a good job while somebody's cleaning up barf. And the kids all have to take their break at that time while you clean it up. But then the teacher, or in my case, always the testing coordinator because the teachers were too grossed out, would have to take their test up to the point where they did and wear gloves and move everything, rewrite everything into a new test booklet, including all the mistakes they made with spelling and grammar and punctuation, have it exactly the same way. The only thing is better is the handwriting. And then we bag that up and marked it as hazardous waste and and send it in along with the tests that ended up getting scored. Once I had a little kid pee their pants, but you don't have to redo their test. <laughs> so... What do you do when a kid pees their pants during the test? You say, you're done taking this test. Let's go get you cleaned up. Um, Fortunately, that was a California test of basic skills. It wasn't the high stakes testing. And that kid just didn't get a score for that test that year. Um, But speaking of leaking, one year, somebody, some school district decided to give the test ahead earlier than they were allowed to do. And um, the writing prompt got leaked out into the press, which meant that all of the other schools behind that took the test later would have already had that prompt and could have practiced if they wanted to cheat. So we all had to turn in all the writing prompts and get a new writing prompt and then redistribute that with all of the security things that go along with every test. Um, also had a lot of issues with things like interpreters because the kids had to read the reading test in in English, the test that was given, but the interpreters were allowed to interpret the questions for them. Unfortunately, even though we trained the interpreters, some of them decided that every you know, like every couple of years, somebody would decide, well, this is ridiculous. Why would they have to read a test in English when they don't speak English? So they would interpret the entire reading passage. That meant that we had to disqualify those tests. They counted as failures for both the kid and the school. Then there were also issues like they decided to send CDs that they could put into the computer that would um, put the questions in their own language. This was not for every language, but it was for the the ones that were most um, popular, like Spanish and Japanese and things like that. But there were problems with that, too, because like one year, 
they sent all of the the CDs in the wrong language. And then one year, all of the CDs were blank. There were no questions on them. And we couldn't test these beforehand because you were not allowed to do anything with those tests until the morning that they took the test. So then those kids, they all took the day, you know, sitting in a classroom without testing. And then we had to hire interpreters to do the testing in the old way. And on top of that, the interpreters had to, everything had to be taped with a cassette tape. And even back when I was a testing coordinator, that was such old technology. I had to go to all these stores looking for a cassette player or a cassette tape that we could use while all the clerks laughed at me because we weren't using modern technology. I should tell you this about my mother. She is not a drinker, but just listening to these stories makes me want to drink. I am stressed out listening to this. And you've told me That's not even the worst. The worst of it was when somebody was fixing a toilet on the second floor of Wyandotte and the pipe blew and a stream of water came out so forcefully it knocked the custodian against the back wall and rushed out like a tidal wave and the water was um, right over the office where I had just finished packing up every single test and... Um, When I packed up the test, I had to go through and make sure that all the kids' information was correct. Everybody had the right sticker on the right test. All their bubbles were bubbled in. You know, it would usually take me an overnight thing just to get these things all packaged up. But I got them all packaged up and all secured. And they're sitting in the office ready to be picked up by FedEx. And a whoosh of water comes through the ceiling. And it's it's right on top of the test. And so I panicked, but, (laughs) you know, I grabbed all the tests, took them and shoved them in my car and drove them over to central office, you know, despite the fact that my own classroom was flooding at the time. (laughs) But it was, uh, I had to get those tests out of there. I mean, I think that says something to the importance that's placed on those tests, that that was more important than anything else in the moment for you. That's really changed a lot over the years, how important these tests have become. Let's talk about that. When I started as a testing coordinator, it was tough. It was tough on the kids. They were mostly taking the California test of basic skills. So actually, the state testing didn't come along for another year or two after that. And um, the California test of basic skills was bad enough because they had so many biased questions in there that, you know, it was really difficult for the kids But then along comes the state testing from No Child Left Behind Law, which we always call the No Child Left Untested Law. And at the time, it was considered a way to tell how school districts were doing across the state. And it was supposed to be national curriculums. You know, like if you were in third grade in Alabama, could you transfer to Illinois and get basically the same kind of instruction? So it was not ever intended at that time to be as punitive as it became over the years, where the teachers were punished if they did not have a certain number of kids who were showing such progress. And the worst of it is, as a special ed teacher, I would handpick the teachers for my students. And some of those teachers ended up with some of the most difficult kids to teach. And yet they were being judged against teachers 
who had no issues in their classroom, you know, had a classroom full of gifted kids with no behavior problems, <laughs> which I know is a fairy tale. <laughs> but, but the teachers were being judged. And then the individual students started being judged. You know, like if you didn't pass it in third grade, you would have to repeat third grade or go to summer school and then try to take it again. If you didn't pass it in high school, you couldn't graduate, despite everything that you'd done to show that you could handle the curriculum at that point. And um, we used to say that those who can teach and those who can't make laws about teaching. And it was so obvious that whoever came up with this stupid laws about testing had no idea of what tests do. That the purpose was supposed to show us where the kids were lacking and needed help and needed more instruction. But you never even got that information until the kids had already gone on to the next grade, and that information rarely followed them other than their scores. The parents would get a score, but it wouldn't say, oh, he's, he's having difficulty in algebraic thinking, or he's having difficulty with um, using a lot of adjectives in his writing, or whatever. It would never give you that kind of information. It would say proficient, not proficient, advanced, you know, and so you suffered. And then the problem is that no one yet has come up with a good definition of what is achievement in school because there are so many aspects to it, nor have they come up with ways to equal out the playing field. You cannot run a school like a business because you are not controlling what comes into the school with all the different needs and things. It's not a product that you say, oh, well, this one is having difficulty. I'm going to go buy a different one from a different company. These are kids. These are all individuals. And this is, these tests are just a snapshot of one day, of one way of how they're doing on a certain test. And what was really weird is that a lot of the kids who had, were really, really smart would overthink the questions because they were so poorly written and so ambiguous. And we would write, the teachers could send in, you know, comments about the test so that they could fix it in the future because, and they never did. You would get the same ambiguous questions over and over again, or the same poorly written ones where the right answer was not the one that the kids would mostly choose. The tests did not do what the tests were supposed to do. Fortunately, this year, many of the stakes have been removed from the spring standardized test because of the pandemic, so they won't impact schools' report card letter grades in the fall, and they really shouldn't be able to be used to punish students or educators. But this testing is still happening, and it's going to have its own set of nightmares. Way less funny nightmares than your testing nightmare stories, by the way. I mean, we're talking about kids who are mostly in hybrid, going to be spending their only in-person classroom time doing testing for days on end. Kids who have been learning remotely basically just being brought in for the tests. And you don't get those results until the summer anyway. What do you wish we would see this year especially? I wish that if they used testing, it would be based on what they have been teaching in their individual classrooms and that they use it as a formative way of deciding 
where the kid needs more help to bring them up to speed for the rest of the year. Yes, we know that a lot of kids have gaps due to this year that they didn't do well on virtual learning. Some kids did very well on virtual learning. And so the important thing is to find out what they're missing. It's more of a formative assessment, not a summative assessment. Let's talk formative versus summative. What are those? Well, there's a great metaphor about the great British baking show. When these cooks are baking their beautiful cakes and things, they're testing it. They're testing to see if it's done enough, and they're putting it back in. They are tasting it to see if it needs something else to be put back in. They are learning about what their big product needs as they go along so that it can be the best possible creation they can have. That's a formative test. And then Paul Hollywood comes along, and he'll either shake your hand or send you home. That's a summative test. And by the time Paul Hollywood comes, it's too late to really make the adjustments. When we're talking about students, there are so many needs this year, academically, socially, emotionally. The summative assessment doesn't help with that. Do you think that educators are being trusted as professionals to do what they need to do for their students right now? Educators have never been trusted as professionals, at least by the legislatures. Every time I hear a legislature say, I'm running to make the schools and the teachers more accountable to their students, I automatically vote for the other guy because that guy has no idea what goes on in a school. I appreciate your passion about this. Let's end it on a positive note, or at least a a fun note. What are some of the stories you wish people could hear about your time in the classroom? A lot of kids had behavioral issues. They all had different um, initials, depending on what state. They were E, D, B, D, C, D. Uh, Alphabet soup. Yeah. And then I taught a lot of kids who had uh, issues like autism or Down syndrome. And a lot of kids who had were very, very intelligent, but had learning disabilities. But the Some of the most fun ones were the kids who had um, trouble with the language. Like I had one student, we were sitting there playing the I wonder game where everybody had to say, I wonder about, and you know, and you'd have kids that would be like, I wonder what happens when you die, you know, and things like that. And then I had one little guy who said, I wonder why we go to church every Sunday and pray for (laughs) Cheez-Its. And then I had... You know, another little guy, he he had he was totally nonverbal until he was in second grade. And then he learned his first word, and it was mom. And he followed his mom around 24 hours a day going, mom, mom, mom. And so she was like, I don't know whether to be so happy he's learned a word or to be so upset because I can't get away from it. But this little guy, he went on to learn a lot more language after that. That was sort of like a breakthrough. But... He sometimes didn't learn the appropriate language. Like one time, his dad was watching the Ohio State-Michigan game, and he let out the F word. And that word, he was brilliant with it. And he wanted to use it all the time. You know, he would just be walking down the hallway going F word, F word, F word, (laughs) F word, F word. And so then we had to try to get him so that he would not say a word that he had picked up, which is like going opposite of everything. And he had so much trouble with that, you know, because he would be like counting and uh, counting to 50 and he'd stick the F word in the middle of it. 
And then we go, oh, no, now you've got to start over. And then he'd let the F word out again <laughs> because he had to start over. So he was using it appropriately. <laughs> and I feel like, based on your stories about testing, that's how I want to take tests now. Just F words are right in the middle of it. Jane Mitchell, retired teacher, thank you for sharing your stories. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And thank you for joining us for another edition of Education Matters. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe so you don't miss a thing. And please connect with the Ohio Education Association on social media. We're at OhioEA on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also send us an email at educationmatters at ohea.org with your thoughts on the podcast. New episodes come out every Thursday morning. Until next time, stay well.